Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, because your truth is vital in today's age when truth doesn't seem to exist except on an individual case-by-case basis and what sounds good to us, what will feed the beast, if you will, what will, you know, further along our purpose and our meaning for life. But Lord, let us take a step back this morning. Let us see your righteousness, your holiness, your design, and to see how Jesus has overcome these things, how he is the Son of God, how he is the true and better Adam, and how life was originally meant to be and supposed to be. So Lord, fill us with the Spirit. Give us certainty of the good news. Let us rest in the fact that we know the truth that you have given us, not the truth that the world constantly spins around us and tries to give us examples of and tries to you know, control us and condemn us, if you will. So Lord Jesus, guide us well in this moment. We ask for your richest blessings in the Holy Spirit. And may this be fruitful for all those who are here in person and all of you at home as well. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace in our lives. Because we know we're not worth it, but you, Lord, are worth it. You are worthy, and we give you all the praise and thanksgiving. It's in your name, Jesus, that we will forever pray. Amen. All right. Luke, chapter 4. Now I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm also going to, you're going to need to have Deuteronomy chapter 8 in in your arsenal, as well as you're also going to have to have Exodus chapter 17 in your arsenal. So just bookmark those. But I want you to know as we're about to read this that, man, God is amazing. And the story and how he has planned all of this out is nothing short of like, awe-inspiring and praiseworthy. So I'm going to start reading scripture, Luke chapter 4, but I want to tell you some nuances too of this that you really need to hold on to and grasp. And the first thing is son of God, okay? Son of God. That is a big thing of what Luke's trying to, uh, you know, impress upon us here in this moment. We just ended with the genealogy of Jesus, goes back to Adam, then the Son of God. We saw the baptism by the Holy Spirit, where God says, you are my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We see in this passage, or will see in this passage, temptations from the devil. And he says, if you are the Son of God. Son of God. Again, that nuance. Next, we're going to see the battle with the devil. We've seen this battle with the devil one other time in human history. And that happened in the Garden of Eden. That happened way back when. This this really, Genesis chapter 3, it goes back to this just the same as well. And then lastly, this passage is entirely reminiscent of both Adam and Eve and their experience with the devil, as well as Israel's experience in the desert. They're 40 years of being in the desert together and to have God test them, if you will. And so when we talk about this too, and now this is allegorical, okay? This isn't biblical, but I just want you to think about this too. We think about Israel as a nation in, in, in history and they had to go through the desert and they were being tested to see what their hearts were like. 
I find that very similar to this because Israel was promised this promised land of Canaan. And then they were going to go, there was a land of milk and honey and all kinds of amazing things. And then I look at us today and I see a lot of those similarities. We might be technically in the desert right now as Christians because we're waiting to get to the promised land. But in this time that we are in this desert, if you will, we are being tested. We are being shaped. We are being molded by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that biblical truth says that we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit to be changed into Christ's likeness, to the true and better Adam's likeness. So just think about those nuances as we go through this, because this is one of those sermons that really shows where humanity's at, it shows where God's at, and we see this back and forth between the two of them and how they can be officially reconciled through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross as that once-for-all sacrifice and atonement for sins. So, the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all, the, all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And that opportune time comes like 20-some verses later. Just pointing that out there. <laughs> Did you notice I stumbled over this one part? And that's because it was a lie. It's the devil's lie. So, but either way, we'll get back to that. Starting point one, verse one through four, to, to cut this down a little bit. It's the weakness of the flesh. And I put down that first temptation, and we're going to go over it. But to act independently from God's will. That's the first temptation. That's something we all face pretty much on a daily basis, <laughs> if not a minute-by-minute -minute basis. So here's what you need to see, though. The first two verses, just focus on those. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, this reminiscent, think about Adam and Eve. I want you to think about polarizing differences, okay? 
Jesus, full of the Spirit, very, very, you know, weak in the flesh. Adam and Eve at that time, full in the flesh. Tell me, what were they lacking in the Garden of Eden? But the spiritual part of them was missing in the Garden of Eden because they ultimately didn't trust God and His goodness in all this. And that's part of our human condition is that we don't always trust God. But full of the Spirit, empty in the flesh. Also look at it this way, fully God, fully man. You know, we, we do. He says he's hungry. That's a human response. Jesus in his divinity is both fully God and fully man to experience it. You know, you think about what Hebrews might say, for we have a great high priest who knows our suffering and our sacrifice. He has been tempted as we have been tempted. And that's exactly what these are, the temptations from the devil and what we endure. And we see its opposite. And so this full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, you go back a little bit in chapter 3, you saw that the dove came down, rested on Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit. That's the blessing of God. That's something that we as believers now all get to experience, though not to the strength and degree of Jesus himself to be able to withstand all of these temptations. But most of the time, we're not even aware of all these temptations. But here's what's really interesting too, though, especially the 40 days. This goes back to Moses and Israel in the desert, if you will. And this really is, I don't, and again, this might be a little allegorical, but at the same time, this is the establishing of the new covenant that God has created for his kingdom and his people. Because if you go back to Exodus chapter 34, verse 27 and 28, the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, which were the Ten Commandments at that time. And again, that's exactly what Jesus did. We look at this too, and you think about maybe what John says in the beginning of his gospel, I believe it's verse 17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's the absolute truth that this came through Jesus Christ, because he is indeed a historical real figure that every human being on this planet has to deal with and reckon with. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he the Lord? The answer to us who know by the blessing of the Holy Spirit is that he indeed is the Lord, that he indeed has come to earth. He has indeed accomplished all of these things on our behalf because we can't do it. And it's very simple to see, too, in this very first temptation to act independently from God's will. So what he says, and moving on to the next two verses, three and four, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So when he says that, the temptation, surely God doesn't want you to starve. Why don't you feed yourself? Why don't you give yourself something good? And this is exactly reminiscent of what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The devil says, did God actually say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, surely you won't die. You'll just have knowledge of good and evil like God. And he's just being selfish. And you don't want that. 
right? Right? That's the temptation to act independently from God's will. Let's bring it fast forward to this moment. Let's see about this. So us, if you will. Did God actually say not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Did God actually say to be sober-minded, to be watchful, and to grow in self-control by the blessing of the Holy Spirit? Did he actually say that? Did he say that when I hate someone, that I'm actually murdering them in my mind? Did he? Did he really say that? I don't know if he said that. Did God actually say that when I look at a man or a woman with lustful intentions, that I'm actually committing adultery with them in my heart? Did God say that? Did he really say that? Are you sure he said that? I mean, it's just this one thing. Do you think God really said not to steal? And do you think anybody would really miss this pack of gum if I just took it to just a little bit, just, just took this gum, just, just this little bit of gum? Did God really say to honor your father and your mother? I mean, not all the time, right? Like, you don't want to, like, not all the time, but just a little bit of the time. Just, did God really say that I shouldn't bear false witness against my neighbor, that maybe I shouldn't lie, spread conspiracy theories, or gossip about other people? Did God really say that? Or, nah, it's not that bad. Did, did God really say not to use his name in vain? I mean... JC is a great swear word. Everybody uses it, right? It's just the thing to do, you know? Kind of like the devil. <laughs> and Gabby's post earlier this week. <laughs> Did God really say not to covet what I don't have? Did God really say to seek justice and to do good and to take care of the orphan and the widow? Did God really say, again, to count others more significant than myself? That makes no sense. Did God really say I need to forgive others to be forgiven myself? Did God say to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me? How about I just call on him to zap everything? Did God really say your, your temptations to act apart from the will of God are everywhere, okay? They come at you everywhere and from all sides. And you know God's truth in all of this. But we don't stand in God's truth in all of this. We are too weak in the flesh to stand the truth in all of this. And Jesus, fasting for 40 days. Have any of you fasted? Like, legit. Have you? Good for you guys. I just fasted on Saturday because I had to have blood work. So from Friday night at 9.30 till Saturday morning at 9.30, luckily I got to sleep during that time. But you know what the worst thing about fasting is? You always want what you can't have. Like, I was totally not hungry. I was fine. You know, I could drink water. But man, second 9.30, and you tell me I can't do something, that's what's the first thing I want to do. I want to do it. <laughs> I need to do it. But I can't do it. It's not right to, you know, in the fasting. So 40 days of this fasting, this back and forth, now, the longest apparently in, in history, and, and again, this would need to be fact-checked, but there was a gentleman in Ireland in 1920 that was fasting because of the oppression of Britain, and he fasted for 72 days. Like, I don't know how that's possible. I barely went 12 hours. Like, Jesus went 40 days, okay? So there is that 
part of it that's missing. But again, all we like sheep have been led astray, each to his own way. And Jesus in all of this has stood it. And Jesus' response comes from Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 4. And this is really important that you see how God worked this out in Israel in the first place and what he was doing. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that your Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then in verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Now, I'm going to stop there before we open up more cans of worms than I can handle <laughs> in this moment. But as God provide and care for us is, is really what it comes down to. And you have Israel as a nation. And I want you to see, you know, our plight now versus Israel's plight then. Like, man, they got brought out of Egypt. They got to see the Red Sea part. They got to see God in a holy mountain. Like, uh, Moses is going to come down. Like they got firsthand gigantic miracles from God. And you know what they did? They were little whiners and complainers, just like us. Just like us. No difference. No difference. You get to see the majestic, awesome glory of God to, to do all those things, the 10 plagues, the, the splitting of the sea, the manna from heaven, all these things. 40 years in the wilderness, all they did was complain about God. Like this isn't enough. Like, I want more food than this. I want more water than this. I want more. And we're actually going to get to that too in this. But just to see that Deuteronomy 8 and to know and kind of, again, bring back a little bit of what I was thinking about, about being in the wilderness now, looking forward to, you know, the land of milk and honey, if you will. But we're learning right now. We're being sanctified right now. We're growing in his likeness. But praise be to God that, again, Jesus is all sufficient in this because I think I caught everybody in this room in my little list of did God really say, but if not, like it's out there and, and you, we all fall temptation to this and it's so absolutely very easy to act independently from God's will because we think it's going to fulfill us. It's going to make us happy. It's going to satisfy us in itself. Now, moving on to the second temptation. Point two, verses five through eight, the worshiping of idols. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. So clearly there was a little bit of a vision here. It's impossible to try and travel and warp. You know, God is omnipresent, but he's in the spirit so that he can be everywhere. Physical things cannot magically warp like that. So it must have been a vision of some sort. And now, <laughs> here's where I stumbled as I was saying it. And and the devil said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. The devil's lying to you right there. 
the devil doesn't have that authority. This is all still God's creation. God is sovereign over everything that happens. Now, let's be real here too, that as much as Jesus is real, the devil is real. We don't want to give him credit because the victory is in Jesus, not in the devil. But he can still make things difficult for you. And for us, those that are in the spirit, the devil indeed makes things more difficult for us. Because those who are already perishing, he doesn't need to mess with. He doesn't need to lead astray. He doesn't need to lie to. They're already cursed. Just from being born because of Adam. Already cursed. But for those who are being saved, he's going to make you want to be away from God. He's going to make you think God is not for you, but he's against you. And this temptation, number two, is to worship many people, many places, many things, and that's okay. That's okay to do that. That's the second temptation and the lie from the devil, that it's okay to worship cars and houses and degrees and money and people and beautiful scenery and all kinds of other different things, neglecting that they're all from God in the first place. For all things are from him and to him and through him. And he is blessed forever. Amen. So, this temptation goes back to the first commandment. This goes back to uh, Exodus chapter 20. And the first commandment very simply says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or is at the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we see the devil's lie. We see the devil's ploy. He makes you idolize many things other than God. He makes you worship many things other than God. Maybe we worship our work. Maybe we worship our status. Maybe we worship our possessions. Maybe we worship our family. Long story short, all of these things fall under idolatry. And they stand in the way of knowing God. Because they are more important than your Heavenly Father. So, also in this, possible shortcuts to what Jesus is going through by taking the easy way out of suffering and not having to face the rejection. We all want the easy way out. We all want it easy, if you will. We all want that blessed life. And this is exactly what the devil is like. Jesus is going to get all the kingdoms of earth, right? He is God. He is sovereign over all of these things. And he is Lord of all and Lord of all kingdoms, right? So he is all these things. But if the devil can trick Jesus, in a sense, it's impossible. But if he can trick Jesus to be like, okay, I'll take all these kingdoms now. Why not? This will save me the suffering. This will save me the hardship. This will save me going to the cross for humanity. Jesus didn't take the easy way out. He could have easily 
taking the easy way out, but that he wouldn't be the all-righteous, all-sufficient Lord and Savior if he did take the easy way out. And we should not be looking to take the easy way out because, again, the sanctification process is slow and it takes a while to get through it all, right? It just it, Our lives, you know, where are we going with our lives? What are we doing with our lives? So there's no easy way out. And spiritual growth is important. And reading the Word is important. Prayer is important. Fasting can be important. The spiritual disciplines are important. Community is important. There are lots of things that are important, but it's, again, those responses of idolizing other things that make us not come to, you know, I don't want to groups, growth groups, or come to church on Sunday morning, or go help this person who needs help, or go do all these things, are whatever is more important. Because, again, all we like sheep are led astray, each to our own way. And so sometimes, you know, our, our, our work is more important than our spiritual health. Maybe our physical health is more important than our spiritual health. Um, mental health breeds into spiritual health. Which one's more important? You know, these are all questions that we ask ourselves. But again, the worshiping of many different idols is what the problem is in all of this. And we do worship many different things other than God. If we as human beings all just knew that our entire purpose in life according to God is very simply to love Him and then to get along with humanity and love your neighbor as yourself, or glorify God and enjoy Him. If it was, we all knew it was that simple and we went out every single day waking up, brushing our teeth, being like, how does this glorify God? I don't know, but I hope it does. <laughs> you know, just very simple. Like, God in the midst of everything that we do. This is that quorum, quorum Deo that I talk about. Living in the presence of God, not separating that physical reality from the spiritual reality because you are all eternal beings. All of us here are eternal beings. And being that eternal being, the temporary things, the, the, the finite things that we deal with here on earth really pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory of God in our lives. And so to live with that knowledge that when we wake up from brushing our teeth, you know, using the restroom, the work that we do, the family that we have, the friends that we're part of, the food that we eat, all of these things in light of God. That's, that, was the, that was the real plan. <laughs> that was the, the God-given plan in the beginning. But you can see that we have all gone astray to our own way. And ultimately, in all of this too, that, you know, like we worship so many different things. So many different things. And we see that everywhere. And you turn on the TV, how many times are you inundated with commercials? Like, you know, the new new nose hair trimmer, new, new, new beard trimmer or something. I don't know. You know, the new iPhone came out, the new whatever came out. And you're like, oh, I like that. I need to get me one of those. Constantly, constantly, ploys of the devil to get you away from the real reality that we live in and to subvert this eternal glory for these temporary little perks, little momentary happiness, if you will, whereas true joy can be found in the Lord. Jesus' response for this comes from Deuteronomy again. So go back there, but this time it's chapter 6, and it's verse 10 through 15. 
And the beauty of this is that Jesus' response in this in 10 through 15 shows that he responds to the Father as the true man walking with God through this life. So we see, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So you see that in the first commandment and you see the response there in Deuteronomy 6. Again, bridging the initial fall, if you will, the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve, as well as the fall of Israel, God's chosen nation, being reconciled back together by the the blood and the strength of Jesus and what he's done. So the third and final point, the following of self. The following of self. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And just stop there. So, the temptation three. It's really what this is, is this is an act of unbelief disguised as faith an act of unbelief described as faith. And to force God to act on our behalf to prove that he is for us in this sense. And so does God really care about you? Well, if he did, then this would happen. And then we challenge God and we'll say, God, if you're really there and you're really for me, I expect this to turn out this way. And if it doesn't turn out this way, if the situation does not end in my favor, well, then you're just a terrible God. And you're not worthy of my honor and respect and even my time. The problem of self. (laughs) The problem of us. We follow ourselves. We think we know what's best for ourselves. As if we're the creator, we're the original designer for life. We, We understand how the earth works and everything in it. And you know what? If the world would just follow what I say, the world would be a better place. Amen. Okay, just drop the mic now. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs> no, but again, that's us. That's us in a nutshell, right? Does God really care about us? If so. And then there's this temptation. And then there's this testing of God, if you will. And ultimately, it's an act of unbelief disguised as faith. Now, we've seen this kind of recently, too, and I always equate this with the, are you going to jump out of a plane without a parachute to test God? That's exactly kind of what Jesus is going through here. And honestly, when all this came out with the coronavirus, too, there's all this talk about, oh, it's just not real, it's fake, people aren't really dying, blah, 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 this, that, and the other happening. But but here's, here's the reality of it, too. Okay, so are you going to test God? Why don't you go to the ER? Why don't you lick all the doorknobs in the ER and then tell me if it's real or not? 
Like you, you, and, and if it's not real because you don't get it, well, then your faith is strong. This, this type of back and forth faithness, if you will, is wrong. Like it, you can't be a Christian if, and then like, you know, your faith is strong. And then like, well, you know, God didn't work that plan out the way that I wanted God to work that plan out. And then your friend will be like, well, your faith must not be strong enough then. And you just, you just don't love God enough. That's your problem. Those are all lies. And then the fact that people are used by the devil to tell you those lies, to condemn you, to make you feel bad. Watch out, man. These temptations are ridiculous. But this is how the devil works. This is how the devil, you know, abuses us in a sense, especially as the children of God, which is why it's all the more important to stand firm on the solid rock that is Christ and to know this as the truth and the certainty of the truth to stop following your own individual ways that may or may not comfort yourself in all this and may meet your own individual needs, but hurt yourself or hurt others in the process. Also in this, you have to know this, and you see this everywhere today too. The devil abuses scripture by taking it out of context in this. He quotes, <laughs> he uses God's word against God. But you know what he does in this too? He omits this little itty bitty section and then he takes it out of context too. And so even as we just briefly read this and look at it, we're like, oh, yeah, this looks good. Yeah, this is, this is great. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, God would surely save Jesus from jumping off a mountain. No, no doubts, you know, whatsoever. But he takes it out of context. And Psalm 91 verse 11 to 12 says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's the part that's missing. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, the part that's missing is obviously the rest of the psalm too. Sure, he omits that in all your ways, which means that this isn't just a tempt God because like, if you're going to jump off a mountain or you're going to jump out of a plane without a parachute, like your faith will save you. You don't need a parachute. You've got God. Like, that's foolishness, right? Like, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to jump out of a plane without a parachute to test God. Same thing with this. And the same thing with the passage is that ultimately it's because of God and his care for you that, heaven forbid, something like this actually happen, that he will protect you and he will be there for you. Like, he's probably not going to, you know, stop you from jumping off a building, this, that, and the other. But ultimately, it's the protection of God and the fact that God does care for you. He does in the first place. And Jesus' response comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, just verse 16. It's very simple. It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now, Massa means test. Now, Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. This was an example of Israel's testing in Exodus. And this is exactly what had happened in Manasseh. So, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Again, isn't Israel, the nation, fascinating? Getting to witness all of these amazing, gigantic blessings of God. To watch them be taken out of the land of Egypt. To see these ten plagues. To be brought into those. To be fed. To be watered. To all these things, man. And they're still like, is he with us? Is God still here? Dude, he didn't leave again, did he? <laughs> like, come on, people. The Lord is with us at all moments in time. Okay? He's never there. Prayer, man. Prayer. Anytime you want to talk to God, it's available to you now. This wasn't available necessarily to them at that moment in time. But again, not trusting in the presence of God to let them die of thirst. Not trusting God. Does God really care about me? Well, if he does, then he'll do this for me. How many times do you see that? How many times do you see that in the prosperity gospel? Like, it's, it's nuts. Like, and then what happens when God doesn't give you those things? Then you feel crushed and defeated that God doesn't care. Stop letting the devil lie to you on all these accounts, man. Stop. Like, just stop sinning too while you're at it. Like, that's not possible. But just, just stop it, right? As if that's easy to do. But all in all, you see this. And you see the true and better Adam. And you see the old nation of Israel, as well as you see Adam and Eve, how they succumbed to the lies of the devil. And we are not exempt from that today. We still are following the lies of the devil and not following God. Oh, that the Lord would strengthen and bolster us to abide by his will and to continue to grow in the faith. That he would bolster our faith, that we may stand firm on that solid rock that is indeed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because as you see from the world, it swings to and fro. And the waves sometimes crash against you in the hypocrisy of the world and in the challenges and the trials and the tribulations that we experience on a day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year type of basis. But in all of this, again, to see and to know and to acknowledge that truth and to be reminded of that, to be reminded of the spiritual destiny and the life that we live, to see that we are indeed in need of a savior because we fall prey to the temptations like all of these and if jesus had failed any of these tests and remember 40 days of fasting started all this but led by the spirit fully god fully man he was hungry but he was full of the spirit and he was able to withstand these trials and these temptations unlike us 
This is, again, why we need this. Because we have missed the mark of God's glory, God's purpose and design as human beings. But it's not to say that we should abandon it. <laughs> it's to say that, praise the Lord that he gave us the truth. Praise the Lord that he gave us the ability to walk in it by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And praise the Lord that it is not based on our own individual merit, but it is based on the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is indeed holy and righteous and good and is that spotless lamb without blemish and is the true and better Adam. Dear Heavenly Father, my Lord, you are amazing. And even just this sermon and, and the series, Lord, I just thank you for all the grace that you've given us in this time. All this unfair favor to just know you and to love you and to serve you and to see that there is so much that this world has to offer that we neglect because we're wrapped up in too many smaller things. So Lord, again, in all of this, I just pray that you continue to bolster us, continue to uh, build us up in the unity of the faith that is in Christ Jesus so that these doctrines of the world will stop making us sway to and fro and that we stop being divided about silly earthly things that ultimately don't matter because you are Lord and you are sovereign and all the kingdoms of the world belong to you and all the people are created in your image and are worthy of dignity and respect. Let us go back to that normal simpleness of life and leave behind this convoluted mess. But Lord, we need your help. We need your blessings. So continue to work within us, Lord Jesus. Continue to sanctify us and turn us into your likeness. Continue to allow us to love. Continue to allow us to love others. <laughs> so Lord Jesus, we just ask for your richest blessings in all of our endeavors to be the salt and the light in the world and on the earth, that we may speak your truth and that we may lead people to the salvation that you have to offer because that's why you came, Lord Jesus. You came to save sinners. And that's exactly who every human being on the planet is, Lord. And so allow us to reach more people for your glory and ultimately our good and edification as your church. It's in Jesus' name we will forever pray. Amen.